0: what if you could turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 18. A couple weeks ago I, I spoke about salt and light. We had Greg and Michelle here last week. It was a great time. But I spoke about salt and light, being salt and light. Jesus said that in relation to him that we are disciples, but in relation to the world we are salt and we are light. And it's very important to understand what that means, what that meant for them in their day, and what it means for us. And, you know, we have light inside of us. It's actually the light of Christ, and it's actually also his word. It's the word of God that takes residence, and it's, it's him. It's, his, it's the light of God that comes out. And I don't know if you remember, if you were here, I put a table here with a little bowl, and the Bible says that no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. It used to be just called a bowl. And that's what actually happens to a lot of people. There's a light inside of us, and we all have the same spirit, and we all have the same word. Yeah? Yeah? But it's like it gets trapped in us by flesh. It gets trapped. And God wants to, says, let your light so shine before men that they begin to actually ask you questions. So God put it in my heart probably for the next week, maybe two or three weeks. I hope to get it done in two. But something that is one of the greatest tools of the enemy that unfortunately, specifically in the Western church, he uses very easily. It doesn't take him a lot to actually use this tool that he has, and many of us fall prey to it without even realizing it. And it's one of the greatest light diminishers that puts out light. And so I just wanted to speak about it, and I'm speaking about forgiveness. And it's an interesting topic, especially around Thanksgiving and family and Christmas and so forth, but a city on a hill cannot be easily hid, the Bible says. And there's something very important to understand that when the world looks at the church, what do they see? You see, unfortunately, the church is still known by what it disapproves of. That's a very sad truth. The church was not known for that in Jesus' day. It was known for love. It was known for power. It was known for truth. It was known for freedom. But today it's just known for what it, in a sense, disapproves of. And one of the reasons I walked away as a a young person, as a young teenager from the Lord was I didn't see, I used to believe that my parents were the only real Christians. I used to be like, well, they actually do what they say. And there's a lot of um, disappointment in the hearts of millennials, a lot of disappointment in the heart of millennials with the church, because they see such, obviously there's maturity that needs to come, but they see such in what they view as hypocrisy, There's a lot of difficulty in the young people's minds when it comes to how can I correlate the church to what I see in these people? Am I speaking truth? All right. Part of being salt and light, I believe, is personal transformation. Personal transformation. The Bible, obviously there's the Great Commission, to go out, to go out. But equal, equal to going out is actually personal transformation in such a way that causes those who are there to actually ask questions of you when you go or ask questions of you if they're in your life. One of them is light. Jesus said, you know, let your light so shine before men so that when they see, they will glorify. They see something in you that is not in them. And it causes them to literally begin to ask questions. How can you be like that? Or how can you respond like that? The other one is hope. Hope. 1 Peter 3.15, I think it is. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you. That word answer is actually the word defense. It will actually have to be defended. It's such uh, an expectation of good. That's what hope means. It seems unrealistic. (laughs) The other one is love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, by the way that you love. That you have love one for another. I find unforgiveness in a person puts a lot of that, it like diminishes a lot of that. Diminishes a lot of that. So we're going to get into some of this this morning And I want to encourage you to open your heart. Uh, Often when I speak about forgiveness or unforgiveness, it's something that is very difficult for some people. Some people start to switch off as soon as you throw out the topic. I want to encourage you to open your heart because it's extremely powerful and it, it leads to a lot of freedom. So there's obviously different kinds of forgiveness. I'll just throw up a few. God's forgiveness to us, others' forgiveness to us. This can actually be a very big deal when someone forgives you for something. You speak to anyone who's hurt another, anyone who's been in prison, and I've spoken to them. When they know that that family, that person forgives them, it brings freedom. It's a very, very big deal for some people. Our forgiveness to people, that's mostly what we're going to focus on this morning, forgiveness one to another. And our forgiveness to ourselves, to ourselves, that's that's the very, very difficult one. Very difficult for you to forgive yourself. But every form, there's also, I didn't put it up there, but there's also forgiveness towards God. And some people wouldn't understand that that's... How can we? A lot of people have an issue and an offense with the Lord. And th- that's not so much forgiveness as much as it's understanding who He is. It comes by revelation, it comes by relationship. But how can I forgive? How can I begin to let go? How can I begin to become free? Uh, it's very important. So I'm going to treat it as if nobody knows what forgiveness is, as if this is a new concept. Is that good? So we can be very basic and very simple. So what is forgiveness? You know that every form of forgiveness brings healing. They've done so many studies that actually when you don't forgive, the body releases all the same chemicals as a stress response. It holds you in anxiety. It actually develops furrows in the brain. I've I've done some studies on this and I don't have time to go into this. Furrows in the brain that will actually be inherited physically by your child when they're born. That you pass that bitterness that you know that's it's science is actually beginning to prove what Jesus said many, many, many years ago. Forgiveness will release chemicals that can bring physical change, physical healing. It's amazing. Forgiveness is very, very powerful. So what is forgiveness? Definition to grant free pardon for or remission of any. Should we say any any offense or debt, to give up all claim, even a claim of justice? It is an act of the will, it is not an act of the emotions. It is an act of the will. It's a decision. If you continue to choose it, most times the emotions, the feelings will follow. Sometimes they do not. And let me just say this. Most of what I'm speaking about today, please, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. We don't reconcile a child to their abuser. We can help them to forgive, but we don't reconcile them. Can we understand? To abusive situations. I'm not dealing with that today. That's a little different. The flesh nature the nature that we, in a sense, inherited from Adam is diametrically opposed to forgiveness. Do you know that? It's completely opposed to forgiveness. It's exactly the opposite of how Adam and Eve treated each other in the garden. Everything that came in when sin came in, forgiveness was nowhere near their thoughts. It's a it's a work of the Spirit. It doesn't come natural to man like prayer. You can learn to pray and you grow in the Spirit and you grow in your faith and eventually prayer is simple and easy and becomes natural. But it doesn't come simply to the natural man, to the carnal man. Forgiveness is the same. Fasting is the same. Worship is the same. And every single one of these are actually keys in the kingdom that Jesus has given us. And we choose whether we turn them or not. We actually do. It's very, very powerful. So, forgiveness is also part of God's nature. When the Lord revealed himself to Moses in his glory, Exodus 34, verse 5 to 8, I think they have it behind us, It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. Why? Because Christ didn't come. Sacrifice didn't come. Blood hasn't come through Christ. But by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon so forth and so on. But this understanding of forgiveness actually is part of God's nature. It's part of him himself. That's why the cross is forgiveness. It just is. It's part of the very nature of God when he reveals his glory. This is who I am, Moses. I am he who forgives. It's part of who I am. It's not something that man thought up. Amen. It's not. He didn't say, well, let's think up something that is just... We're just going to let it, you know, just forgive. It's from the heart of God. For God so loved that he gave his son. Love gives. Real love will give. Always. Love gives. So true forgiveness, true, true forgiveness is always a radical, radical act. It's a radical act. And often the world will not understand it. They will even fight you for it. They will say, don't do that. So we're going to look at Matthew 18, and we're going to first look at the parable. Can we go to Matthew 18? Let's go to verse 21. Matthew 18 says this. Obviously, Jesus teaches a little bit on forgiveness, which we'll get into in a moment, but I want to look at the parable first. Peter comes to him and says, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Why did he say that? It's very interesting. Very, very interesting. In the book of Amos, there's this refrain that is constantly like repeated. And it says something like this. For three transgressions and for four, I will not remove punishment for this city or this nation. And But it keeps throughout the book, the book of Amos. For three transgressions and for four. And so it became traditionally basic, you know, accepted that I will forgive up to three times. But the fourth, <clears throat> no. That was Part of the tradition. So Peter's, you know, Lord, I'm quite, you know, it's Enoch, me, Moses, David. You know, I'm one of those guys. I'm really spiritual. So let's, you know, up to seven times. I'll add the two together and we have seven, and seven's a good number, you know. God rested. And so maybe I'll forgive up to seven times. You see what Peter's actually doing is he's looking like a lot of us do. Give me the give me the law. Give me the exact way. Give me how must I do this and then then no more. How must I, what, is, what can I do to be actually correct? He's still thinking from a law mentality, not the heart. Tell me what I must do so I can do it. You keep raising the bar. You have heard, but I say to you. You have heard, don't commit, but I say don't even look at a woman. So he says, Jesus keeps raising the bar. Jesus, I'm Peter. You know I mean, it's like you and me. So seven times? I can do seven. And Jesus says, no, Peter. He says, up to seven times? He says, Jesus said, no. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times, seven. And there's Peter doing the math. Uh, so, and then, But Jesus carries on. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king. We have to understand that Jesus is now beginning to teach something that is very important. Peter, this is what my kingdom is like. Guys, this is what my kingdom is like. This is what I'm coming to bring, to reveal. It's completely different to something that you've seen before. So my kingdom is like this. And he begins to tell a parable. I've seen many people cry, God, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your kingdom come. And then we go from there and from that prayer meeting and from and then we get in the car. And like, do you know? Do you know what Tracy said to me? You wouldn't believe it. She said this, and then she said this, and I just—I thought surely she didn't mean that, but she did. And then the person says, you know, I'm prophetic. I felt the same thing, and, then, and on it goes. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, guys, the kingdom won't come that way. If you want my kingdom, this is what it looks like. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants, And when he began to settle accounts, there's obviously a lot in this text about what's coming, but I won't get into that today. When he began to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Let me just say this. Friends, we have to understand what Jesus meant. 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents in their day was the equivalent to 60 million days' wages. 60 million days of wages. 60 million, not 60 million, 60 million days of a wage. I did some math just for those of you who like math. (laughs) It would take 2 million people their 80 years of life, of full-time work, to pay that debt. 80 years for 2 million people. I did the median income of Loudoun County, and I actually lowered it a little bit. It's about twenty-five billion dollars, twenty-five billion eight hundred million, today. And so the man says, oh, I'll pay it back. No. It's a lie. He knows there's no way I can pay this back. But what does he want? He wants his life. He just wants his life. Be owed him ten thousand talents, verse twenty-five, but he was not able to pay his master. To pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children, that and all that he had, and that the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, "Master, have patience with me; I will pay you all." Friends, it's impossible. He could not have paid them all. He says, and the master of the servant, that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii which is, in comparison to $25 billion, it's $400. If you ratio it down, it's $2.64 uh, million to $1. That's the difference. So for every dollar this man you know, demands from this person, he owed $64 million. That's a big deal. I don't know if any of you have ever got a bill demanding that. So... It says the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Same response. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. And they came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after, his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And we know what happened. It says his fellow servants were grieved. You know, as believers, sometimes... We reveal to others our understanding of the gospel by how we treat them and how we treat those around. Uh, You see, the gospel is actually scandalous grace. It's amazing, it's amazing that you are declared righteous and justified because of the action and the payment of another. A debt that you could not pay. And sometimes the way we deal with each other reveals to everyone how we understand that. His fellow servants were grieved. Do you not understand what you've been forgiven? If you did, you wouldn't treat him like that. That's actually why they were grieved. It's how a believer sees the gospel. To shine as a light, to shine as a light is often dependent on how we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it starts to dictate to us how we look at others and how we treat others, and how we forgive others, and how we let them go, even when they hurt us. There is a debt that you cannot pay. You cannot pay it. It's the penalty of death. There is a wage that is being earned by sin, inherent sin, that you don't want to get paid with. I can promise you that. And that is what Jesus comes to say. I will settle the wage. I will settle the payment. I will settle the debt. I will pay the price. When that becomes real, there's a parable that Jesus says, for him who is forgiven much, loves much. And that was said about the woman with the alabaster that she poured all the perfume on his feet. And so it, it tends to hint towards, because she was so wicked, it even says that, because she was so evil, she loves much. But you know, that kind of love, when, a, when an addict is healed, it doesn't last, in a sense, forever. It's that initial Oh, this! oh, my God, I feel the weight. And, I, and so there's this absolute zeal. But as you grow in God, you realize we've all been forgiven the same. We've all been forgiven the same thing, the penalty of death. And the more we begin to understand that, the more we begin to position ourselves, it changes the way we treat each other. So I got a quote there somewhere. Forgiveness travels above all language, culture, race, age, And sex. There is no barrier that forgiveness cannot cross. A person who claims to know Christ but cannot express forgiveness for their fellow man has only to look deep into the cross one more time and once again discover its power. So, what I actually want to get into today, but we have to understand the parable, is three spiritual realities, something that the Lord showed me a number of years ago of what happens when you forgive and don't forgive. Why is it so important? What happens in the spirit realm? What happens that we cannot see? What is, what is actually taking place when I forgive someone or choose to hold on to it? There are things that take place that are extremely important. And so I want to get. we probably won't get through all of them today, but I also want to then get practical probably next week. How do I forgive? I was chatting to someone yesterday, and we were talking about how many people actually don't know how to forgive. They don't know. They say, I want to forgive, but I don't know. How? What do I do? Who's met people like that? Yeah, okay. So, we're going to talk about the first one. Let's go to Matthew 18, verse 15. This is when Jesus is teaching on it. Moreover, Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, Take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses to hear even the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, that if two agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For whether two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So, let's get into this. If a man sins against you, go and show him his fault between the two of you. Some of you might have seen this done really poorly. I've seen this done really poorly. uh, You know, sometimes this is preached in such a way that I now have the right to go and show you, you know, you wronged me, and I'm here to tell you about it, and how great I am in forgiving you. And unfortunately, that kind of culture actually makes it worse. Makes it worse. Personally, I don't believe that's what it means. Because the next statement says, "with two or three witnesses. That is part of the Jewish law that is established in Deuteronomy. I think it's 19, verse 14 and 15, for those who are taking notes. What does it mean? He's saying when someone sins against you, in the Jewish custom culture, it is a sin that was grievous to break fellowship. It was actually meaning they've sinned according to the law. I can bring... If there's a penalty that I can place on you. I can now prosecute you. I can bring something and I can... Because he brings the law into it. So when you go to the person, it wasn't, let me show you what great wrong you've done me. No. I value our relationship so much that I'm coming to you... With a heart of grace. You see the difference? I'm coming to you with grace. I don't want to do that. So it's you and me. I felt like this and I come to you and this. And most of the times that should settle it. Can we be just real today? Some people are so easily offended. Then that's all they would do. They just go to everybody. Everybody. That doesn't perpetuate a kingdom culture, a kingdom environment. But when you go to one another with grace, I could, but because of my value for you, I don't want to bring this into it, so I've come to you so we can be restored. That's the heart of the text. That's the heart of the text. So, Jesus is teaching on this. Then he throws out a stunning statement. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The the better way to say it is: Whatever has already been bound there, you have been delegated authority to bind here. Whatever has already been loosed there, you have delegated authority to loose here. So he throws out this statement: These important verses about binding and loosing, about where two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst of you. And anything where two, you, you know, anything you ask together, I will. It's like these three famous verses. But the lesson is forgiveness. He's teaching on forgiveness. He still tells a whole parable about it. Many of us quote those verses in another context. Let's go pray because we're two or three are gathered. But the lesson is forgiveness. See, the other time that Jesus throws out that statement is the only two times that he mentions the word church. The one had to do with the global church. Who do people say that I am? With Peter, you're the Christ, the Son... Heaven and earth, is you know, flesh and blood is not revealed. He says, on this I will build my church and the gates, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound, and so forth and so on. So he says that to Peter, Matthew 16, two chapters previous. Then he says it again here, both times talking about the church. One global church, one here, local church. Because now we're dealing with people that know each other. There's an established body of leaders. So he's saying... This is important here. It's not just important there. It's important here. So what he's actually saying, it's very, very powerful. There's a link between heaven and earth that has to do with this issue. For you to operate... You, we all have delegated authority. We have been delegated authority. The impact, the, the power of that delegated authority and, and anointing or gifts or whatever it may be that you've been furnished with, that power, that ability to say, kingdom come, heaven come, that ability to pray, that, that ability is linked to this issue of forgiveness. That's actually what he's saying. So the first spiritual reality that is absolutely fundamentally true is that when this kind of forgiveness is present, there's an exponential increase in authority. Exponential increase in authority. We have to understand this is a scheme and a trick of the devil. Or he knows if I just sow discord and this, you know, it's like, well, Tracy, and yeah, you know, I, I, the Lord's told me that too, and blah, 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 blah. And, and the devil's smiling. Why? Friends, where one chases a thousand, two chases ten thousand. What happens when a body of believers, because this is in a local church, starts to understand the enemy's wiles? I, I actually want to provoke you this morning. I want you to leave you going, I've been tricked, I've been fooled. Why? Because when we add each other, now the great thing is I'm preaching on this and I know nothing is going on. Well, I'm sure there is a family. If any of you have had a family for five minutes, I'm sure there's something. But, friends, we've been tricked. What's possible in a body where people work things out this way? Because Jesus then says three statements that have to do with what? Answered prayer. I will give you what you ask. That have to do with an increase of presence. There I am in the midst of them. That's presence. Where two or three are gathered. Whatever you bind, the ability, the authority that I've given you is tied to this issue. The link of heaven and earth is tied to this issue. So he says, if you can find reconciliation, the kingdom way. Let me show you what my kingdom's like. If you can do this here, the light that we are to the city begins to change. Because the enemy knows, if I can just sow discord, they all only have their own individual. But if we can come together, whoa, very dangerous, very powerful, very powerful. It's true of an individual. It's true of a church. It's true of a nation. It's true of a family. It's true of a family. It's it's true. The ability to let go, to not demand justice, to have no claim, no stake in the game, to be free. Sometimes there cannot be reconciliation because no matter what you try, they are not interested. You'll be free. You'll be free. But there's always more. Jesus' heart is if we can reconcile. There's an exponential increase in authority. Because one chases a thousand, but where two agree, they can chase 10,000. What happens to the city then? When we all not agree doctrinally, not get along perfectly, not agree on everything. Doesn't mean there's not going to be issues. It actually means there's definitely going to be issues. It just means how we deal with them. And it's not going to you saying, Well, you've wronged me, and the Bible says I must come to you, and you are wicked. And I'm telling you, and I'm now I'm free. That just, bah, that's vomit, sorry. Just, it's just the bad motive covered up with legalistic stuff. It's in grace. It's in grace. It's interesting to me that he says, if two agree on earth. He says that. If two agree on earth, friends, there is a supernatural link that is tied to this issue. The word loose, whatever you bind, whatever you loose. The word loose there is the word lio. You know another time that word is used? 1 John 3, 8. For this reason, the Son of God was made manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy is lio. What it's saying is there's things that have been loosed in heaven. When you find agreement, what is loosed there destroys what the devil has done here. And it comes through forgiveness, reconciliation, grace to each other. It's so powerful. I tell you, when you see this, you'll be free. You think, yeah, I'm going to do that. And on the way home, you're like, hmm. Hmm. That person too. Hmm. I mean, maybe a little bit less impact is okay. We can just, those people, maybe. And we start to think. Secondly, I just don't feel like this point is done in the spirit. Friends, God is looking for a people that won't fall prey to this anymore. It's a scheme of the devil. And he smiles broadly with all our prayer. and our, Oh, Lord, let your kingdom come. And Jesus said, let me show you what my kingdom's like. You've been forgiven something you cannot pay. So let them go. Okay, second point. Hebrews 12. Can you go to Hebrews 12 really fast? Second point, I, I just called it reproduction, you can call it repetition. I um, have found often in the years of ministry that I see people that are, you know, they were abused by the, you know, or they were, their father was an alcoholic and then, their fa- and then they were and then they were. Is things get passed down, even things that you hate, they were beaten and then they beat their kids and, they, and so forth and so on. And it's a very interesting thing. Personally, I believe it's mostly tied to this issue of unforgiveness. In Hebrews 12, it says, in verse 12, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down on the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet. Now, I don't have the time to give context, but for the teachers among us, there is a context here which is important, but I encourage you to go home and read it. Hebrews is written to people who could not, they were struggling to make a full transition into that the law is fulfilled in Christ. and it's, So that's why it's all about the sacrificial system. It's written to people who are struggling to actually believe fully that Jesus is enough. And so he writes it in that context. And he says um, verse 14, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of grace. That short of grace doesn't mean that the grace runs out. Please hear me. What it actually means is that there's a gracious offer of salvation. Don't fall short of that. There's no other possible way. I wrote it like this. Simply means refusing the gracious offer of salvation, which comes by grace, by faith, not the law, which is everything that Hebrews is trying to do not fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. It talks about a root of bitterness. The word bitterness there is actually uh, pichria, and it comes from a word called uh, pichros. It's very interesting. It means to be pricked, like that uh, conviction <coughs> pricked by the Holy Spirit or by the Lord. Who knows the verse, Acts 2. Where Peter preaches, and it says their hearts were pricked. Some of your translations say pierced. Who knows what I'm talking about? It says their hearts were pricked, and they cried out, What must we do to be saved? Is that? That piercing of the Lord. What this is saying is that can go right through a person. Bitterness can do the same thing. So, what happens is it's when we won't forgive, this thing starts to grow in us, and it calls it a root. This is a very powerful wording. Roots grow. If I shoot him with a gun that is like, it's weird, but it has seeds. If I do something to harm him, it's as if I've shot in him. A sin against him, if he allows it, can cause sin in him. So I've shot him with a seed, and it begins to grow. This is why David kept short accounts. When something's done, we, Lord, we keep short accounts with the Lord. If people did Matthew 18, this wouldn't happen. But when we choose to hang on to it, what begins to happen is what's done to us, unjustly, unfairly, because the devil's wicked, what's done to us begins to grow inside us. And you can actually become what you hate. That's what the root of bitterness does. If you deal with it quickly, it's like, it's just, uh, yeah, it's out. Little seed, meh. Yeah. After ten years, it's like surgery, and you lose a part of yourself. Now, God will heal and God will restore, but it's it's a process. I have found, when this starts to happen, it becomes like a repetitive situation in a family and a generation. It just repeats and repeats. It can be broken, friends. We hold the key. I give you the keys of the kingdom. We hold the key. Turn it and forgive and let it go. And sometimes there's a process. How do I do that? How do I forgive? Because this thing is, and it gets in everywhere. If you find that a lot of the people you go to, they're like, oh, I didn't mean that at all. And it's, no. Gee, and, and you realize that you perceived it. If it's always like, oh, I did not it was just perceived, you have lenses on. And everything you see is colored by this. It's got to do with the root of bitterness. And you know what's sad is the very truth that can pierce and break of forgiveness, of grace, of love, the very truth that can break that open is a truth that it's like people are too afraid to tell you because there's going to be a reaction. And it's like we become numb to it. It's like we can't even hear it. Because there's this root of bitterness and it's reproducing. The key is not get prayed for again. Not no. Forgive. Forgive. Just forgive. You know, no matter what's been done to you, I'll end after this one. And I say this with sensitivity, please hear my heart, please hear my heart, and I've seen wicked things with what I do, horrible things done to children, women, and so forth. No matter what it is, it's nothing as to what you've been forgiven for. No matter what it is, it's nothing. It's, it's not big. In the light of eternity, it's nothing. One of the words for prakriya bitterness it can actually be translated poison. Poisons you. Now, that was a light sermon. So, <laughs> you know, friends, it, it, it's it's from my desperate desire for people to be free, really free. I I can say with integrity and with honesty that I have nothing against anyone. And let me tell you, to wake up in the morning and be free. To be free is beautiful. I'm just You're just free. You're free. Because it stops affecting you, and you're free. Oh, then you can love people. And you look forward to when they react at you. You're like, oh, I'm going to grow today. It's true. It's like this is, and you begin to think like the Lord. You begin to, something begins to shift. Because you know the debt you've been forgiven. We'll get onto this next week, but I'll just throw out the thing, the little statement. When you forgive, it's an amazing truth. Father Augustine of the early church said, "We owe we owe Paul to the forgiveness of Stephen." When you forgive someone, even while they're still doing something, we'll get into that next week. How do I forgive? How the Bible says, "Forgive us," Christ forgave. What does that mean and how do I practically do it? We'll give you prayers. We'll give you methods. We'll give you things that are very practical next week. But when, he, when Stephen forgave Paul, I believe when you forgive a person, and I'll show it to you in Scripture next week, you release to them the breakthroughs that you fought for. People say, well, I wouldn't want to release that to them. But you do. You actually do. You... When you forgive someone, you invite them, you extend to them an invitation. I'm forgiving you. And if it's real forgiveness, I extend to you the victories that have won and the breakthroughs that i have fought for. It comes along with forgiveness. And I'll show you that in Scripture. People say, oh, I'm not so sure. Friends, is that not what happened with you in Christ? He forgave you. And in his forgiveness, he extended what he won. What he won. Why are we doing this? So that our light can shine. Let your light so shine because we've been placed in a city that has people that need to see light, hope, and love. Genuine. Can we stand?